So welcome once again to our CSA online retreat. This is uh, August and here we are on Wednesday and we are uh, discussing the Bhagavad Gita. We're in chapter five, the middle of chapter five, and this is the yoga of renunciation. And so we will uh, we'll continue looking at our dialogue between enlightened consciousness, that is Krishna, and Arjuna, the seeking soul. And remember, each of us uh, is associated with, affiliated with Arjuna, which is the seeking soul, that, that which aspires to be fully awake, fully aware of its own nature. So it's always useful for us to be reminded that we are already perfect and whole at the core. Our essence is perfect. We are an expression of the pure essence of ultimate reality. And so all we do in our spiritual practice, all we aspire to is to remove the obstacles, the, the conditionings, the ideas, the beliefs, um, the urges, the desires, all these things which stand in the way of our own experience, realization of our own true nature. So, as we talked yesterday, the, the tendency is to be enchanted, to be so identified with what's happening, with the adventure, that we forget that we are awake, aware, bright. And we always are. We always are. But but the, the amplitude, the noise from all of the distractions overpowers, overwhelms our awareness, our experience of our really, of our true nature. So, and it's useful to be reminded when we sit in meditation that our objective is to just let all these other things go, is to let the thoughts go and the stories and the ideas and the comparisons and the rationalizations, all, all the things that are happening in the field of awareness, we just let them subside, we disregard them. And as we disregard them and let them subside, the mind becomes quieter. And as the mind becomes quieter, we begin to notice, and we are noticing from what's called buddhi or intellect or discernment, we begin to notice that the mind is becoming quieter, that we are able to keep our attention a little bit more focused. And we're able to stay focused for a longer time before the distractions come. And we are paying attention. This is all happening from this discerning, discriminating the intellect. And, and as we sit and practice and stay with that and allow ourselves to really become adept at keeping the attention focused, then this discernment discrimination finally allows us to blend with or merge with whatever it is that we are observing. And in the process there is this awareness that dawns behind that on an even more subtle level that is just aware. And it is not aware of anything, it is just aware. And so, so we use uh, intention, discernment, discrimination to focus attention. We keep the attention focused, focused, focused until all the distractions, all the noise, all the static uh, subsides and becomes quiet enough, and it may still be a little trickling in the background, but it quiets enough 
to where we really start to notice that we are noticing. This is still discernment, discrimination. And then our noticing that we're noticing in this witness consciousness and this awareness, we become more and more established in that. And the background static becomes less and less and less until finally there is this witnessing. And then we're able to transcend. That is to move beyond the witness, the subject object relationship to move beyond the, 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 the sense that I am doing this. I am watching this. I am listening to this, that I am, it also slowly subsides as we become more and more sensitive to this awareness. And it is not aware of anything. It is aware. It is existence being. It is transcendent. And so, and so this is, the, this is the, the progress that we're making. So as Arjuna is waking up, Krishna is explaining that you are not separate. You are consciousness and everything that you do is an expression of consciousness and all of the interactions everything is consciousness expressing as it's the play of god the lila and so so we will continue with our with uh, krishna we left off yesterday on uh, chapter 5 sutra 13 and krishna says Calmly renouncing all actions, the embodied self dwells at ease. Calmly renouncing all actions, the embody, embodied self, with the capital S, self, soul nature, dwells at ease. Not acting and not causing action. So here we are, you know, as we let go of the attachment to the effects of what we're doing, of insisting that things come out in certain ways of being, uh, uh, of trying to manipulate and push the world around rather than acting from the, from our own intuition, from our own inner guidance. So as we, as we become at ease, then we're no longer pushing things around. We're no longer concerned about the results of our action. We do what we do because it's ours to do. And, and, and so we rest at ease. We are fine. Um, and Roy says we're at the renunciation that we're talking about is mental and emotional. So we, we let go of our ideas about what's happening. We let go of our emotional connections to what's happening and we rest in, in, in awareness, awareness of being. So this pure awareness that I was just talking about, because this is what we are all the time the more we become attuned, become sensitive to this, the more we can reside in this, uh, in this awareness. And then whatever we're doing, however we're interacting, whatever we're doing as far as relationship goes, we're always grounded in this, in this soul awareness, in this awareness of our real true nature, see? And so, so this creates... Um, this creates ease. This creates liberation. So we're no longer controlled by what's happening in the world around us by the circumstances and events we are self-realized self-actualized and free krishna goes on and says so so we're not acting not causing action we renounce all that 
He says, it does, not it does not create the means of action or the action itself or the union of the resultant action. All these arise from nature. It does not create the means of action or the action itself or the union of the result of action. All these arise mutually from nature. This is coming out of, so all these actions including all of our thoughts and our ideas and our emotions and all this is arising out of nature. There is a mutual arising of all this. So this, this process of what we are, our body and the environment, the world around us, the universe, all of this has emerged, has blossomed out of consciousness. It has not blossomed out of consciousness as has not come out of consciousness as a result of a grand designer who has sat down and figured out how all this is supposed to work and has got all the right connections made and is somehow behind the scenes like a puppeteer manipulating and making sure that everything is doing what it's supposed to do. This is, this is an old world uh, uh, concept, an idea, a viewpoint that sees God, that sees this ultimate reality as a maker, as a potter, a cosmic potter, who is making things and then turning them loose and letting them interact. And, um, and this is not the way it works. The way it works is organic. There is an emergence that comes out of itself blossoms out of itself just like the little seed has all the potential to become the big giant redwood tree or the little rose bush all the information and all the intelligence and all the order is built into this but it's not in a way that's being controlled and manipulated it's inherent within it and it, it arises and in its arising there is this mutual expression and all the pieces of it that need to be uh, that need to exist in order for it to all work harmoniously, they all come into being harmoniously. There is no part of the universe that is out of place because it's impossible for it to be out of place because it's coming out of itself. See, just like this beautiful body that each one of us has, you know, it starts off with two half cells. So we have these. You know, we have a sperm and an egg that come together. And when they come together, some magic happens and some connection happens. You know, prana starts to move. A soul is attracted, you know, all this amazing stuff. And so here's this, these two half cells with uh, some information in the center. You know, there's this DNA and the DNA is basically a library of information. It has no intelligence. It has no uh, no animation of its own. It's just simply a little computer and it's in the, the computing is set up to just simply reproduce molecules to make proteins and enzymes and, you know, all the things that it takes. Somehow these two little half cells come together and out of this library, they're able to create this body that you have and it creates itself out of itself. There's nobody going, okay, it's time to reproduce and it's time for this. And you, you, you go be a nerve cell and you over here, you start to be a liver and you become a heart. No, it just knows how to do it. 
knows how to do it. And so, and so what Krishna is saying is that everything arises out of nature. It comes out of itself. It has its own innate intelligence, and we're part of that. Not separate, but we're part of it. So he goes on and he goes on and says, nor does it partake of anyone's virtuous or evil actions. When knowledge of the self is obscured by ignorance, then men act badly. So, so this process, this, this consciousness, what we are, is not affected or influenced by good or bad. These are ideas. These are concepts. And what's good one day is terrible the next, you know? And what's and what's terrible and unacceptable the next, you know, it turns out to be a great thing tomorrow. I mean, we're going through a little process right now, not a little process, a big process right now where uh, all around the country, people are tearing down monuments that were great monument, monuments. People built, spent a lot of money and built these big giant sculptures and put them out in the middle of the towns and the cities and said, wow, this person was really influential and important. And, and wow, you know, let's get behind that and remember that and be inspired by that in the future. And today, these people, well, they had some other characteristics that weren't particularly, um, you know, uh, exemplary and and so now we're going well we really don't want to get behind that anymore and and some of the things this person represented are not useful and so so we've changed our minds you know about what's good change our minds and i remember i remember back in in the early 70s when i started to become aware that there was a thing called nutrition and that uh, by using but you know by eating wisely that we could actually have some positive influence on our well-being and happiness and health and and so I really started to study in a big way and I, and I went to a conference at uh, De Anza College that had four of the world's top nutritionists that all showed up at the same time we didn't have an internet then so people had to actually show up in person and so there was Pavel Arola and I forget I forget who all was there but you know, these were the, the world leading figures on nutrition. And I sat there all day in a conference and I listened to one after the next and each one was exactly contradicting what the one before said. So this one says, you know, lots of protein, keep the carbs down. The next one's talking about, and I came out of that conference instead of being enlightened and knowing exactly what to do, I was more confused than when I went in. So, you know, so what's good, what's bad? These, you know, all these ideas, we get sucked into, drawn into this drama about, you know, right and wrong and good and bad. And Krishna is saying, these are just concepts. They're just ideas. They're, we are superimposing these on reality. And reality is just what it is. And it's not affected by our ideas about it. And so if we recognize this, if we realize this, then we can be dispassionate. We can we not get so drawn into the drama, not get so drawn into the game, that it affects us and it upsets us. So, so, and in, you know, in one in one sense, if we if we think about um, 
the idea of what's good, you know, what are good people doing? What's the, you know, what's the amazing good stuff? We don't know what good is unless we know what bad is because they're relative to each other. So, so if we never, if there was never anything that was really unpleasant or bad or, you know, terrible, then we wouldn't have a concept for good. So we have to have good to have bad. We have to have bad to have good. They're both ends of the same coin and they're part of this dualistic expressive reality. And we have to engage with it, you know, of course, but we don't have to be subject to it. We don't have to be victims of all these ideas and all these concepts. And so the idea, you know, the tendency to be judging all the time and remember our word science, conscience comes from science with science, conscience, consciousness is with science, the experience of being with science and science comes from the root word that means to take apart, to cut into pieces, to be able to understand by looking at the different aspects. So we take things apart in order to understand them and then taking them apart we lose the wholeness. We lose the, the holistic understanding. We lose the approach. You know, it's like when I was a, a child, I was, well, I've always been uh, quite curious and I wanted to know how things work. And so the radio fascinated me. So one day I took the radio apart to find out how it worked. And when I took it apart and I looked at all the cool parts inside there, you know, the tubes, vacuum tubes. Anybody remember a vacuum tube? vacuum tubes and capacitors and uh, condensers and I took it all and I said wow this is how does this make this sound you know and it's not plugged into anything and of course it didn't work when I took it apart I had a lot of parts and they were very interesting and and I didn't know any more about how the radio worked when I took it apart than <laughs> but I did but it didn't work as a radio anymore so um, so, so science is good at one thing, at you know, sort of deconstructing, but at the same time, it creates this separation. These, it, it cuts the world, it cuts everything into little pieces, and we leave, lose the holistic vision. We lose the holistic exper experience, expression of what's really here, what's really going on, and what's really going on is holistic. You see, the universe is holistic every part of it is supportive of every other part there isn't any hierarchy where this is the top and then it works down to here everything in the whole system is interactive and it all has to work it all has to be there for everything to work i've just been reading a fascinating new book on trees and and how trees communicate and their senses. Trees actually talk to each other. They, uh, they have the sense of smell, they have a sense of taste, and they communicate within themselves. And when we look at a forest, we see a bunch of trees, uh, but what's actually going on is under the ground, the trees' roots are touching each other and communicating. And where the tree's roots are not directly communicating, the fungus, the mycelium, mushrooms, these are interconnecting, they grow into the tree's roots and they provide the tree with information and they provide nutrients from one tree to the next tree. They provide a transport mechanism. So when a tree in the middle of the forest becomes weakened, 
and starts to lose its, uh, its branches or its leaves, the trees around it start to feed it. They actually feed it with um, nutrients to be able to bring it back and to help encourage it because the forest requires everybody to be working together. It requires the, uh, the canopy of the forest to block out the sun so that the hot sun doesn't hit the trunks of the trees. And so they require each other to be taking care of each other. And the fellow who wrote this book, who was a forester, said that he came across what he thought was a ring of stones, big stones and out in the forest, uh, covered with moss. And he sat down and he was kind of scraping at the moss and it turned out that they weren't big stones, they were actually wood underneath. And so he found that this ring of stones was actually a big tree trunk, an old, old ancient stump that had, you know, fallen down and now the only remaining parts were these little pieces of wood that were stuck up and that the stump was probably 2000 years old and it was still alive it was still there was still wood underneath there that was living and the only way that could happen was if it was being fed by the forest around it so the forest around this was a it was a, a key tree a mother tree and so the forest around kept this stump alive for a thousand years and, and continued to. So, so there is this communication that's going on. When you walk through the forest, you're seeing all these individuals, they, when they are attacked by uh, insects, um, the, the saliva of the insect touching the leaf sends a signal through the tree and the tree then sends signals out to the to the neighbors and they all start to create these tannins they create these uh, uh, bad tasting substances so that the insects will leave them alone and out on the savanna when the giraffes come to the acacia trees and it's like oh wow acacia is really really tasty so the, the herd of giraffes come and they start munching on the acacia leaves and the acacia tree puts out a scent and the scent goes out to the rest of the acacia trees and it says, warning, giraffes are in the area. <laughs> and so they all start to, be, to change their taste so that they're not interesting to the giraffes and they have to move on. So these, these are, there's communication going on all around us, you see. In the same way, we don't have the, you know, we don't have the direct line to each other through the mycelium and through our roots growing together, but we have communication. We can talk and we have an internet in the same way. We're passing information all the time and we say, you know, there's, there's a storm coming. How do we know that the hurricane's coming and it's time to batten down the hatches and prepare? We, you know, it's the same way that the trees know that the, that the, uh, that the insects are coming or that the uh, giraffes are coming. We have this communication network and we're all in it together. There is no separation. See? So, so we, you know, the idea is to keep expanding our concept, our idea, and, and let go of this ego, this sense of limitation. I am in this all by myself and I have to figure out how to push the world around to make my way. No, you, are, you come out of the world. You know, um, Jesus said, you are in the world, but not of it. You know, we, 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 come out, we, we come out of the world, but we are not the effect of all these circumstances and events. They are 
emerging, evolving of their own, and we are interacting with them. And there is this harmonious possibility for harmonious relationship. And, and it all just works, you know. The only place it doesn't work is in our head. The only place, the only place there's a problem is in our ideas, in our concepts. You know, this is where the problem. If you have a problem, it's your problem. You know, and and that's and that's the thing that we can actually can do something about. There's everybody, and I'm seeing so many. I have a lot of uh, people who are communicating these days, and I do some counseling and. A lot of people are concerned about activism, getting active, getting getting involved, you know, with all these situations and these problems. And and you know, that's wonderful. It's good some and, and it's it's great that some are called to be out there on the front lines, but a lot of people get really engaged in all this mentally in, in these ideas about things, and they make themselves a little bit crazy. Because there are things that we can do things about, and there are things that are not for us to do. You know, it's for somebody else. We need to find what's our thing to do and do that. Act wisely and act from our own intuition and our own guidance. Let go of the let go of the limited viewpoint and allow ourselves to be a little bit more expansive and a little bit more. Uh, organic in the way we see ourselves in relation to the rest of the world. So he says, uh, and, and so Krishna goes on and says, as a reminder, let's go back. Um, it doesn't create the means of action or the action itself or the union of the result and action, the bringing together. All these arise from nature naturally, nor does it partake of anyone's virtuous or evil actions. When knowledge of the self is obscured by ignorance, man, men act badly. When knowledge of the self, with a capital S, the true self, is obscured, then, I'm sorry, is obscured by ignorance, then men act badly. And some women, too. And we see this every day. You know, we see all this bad action. We see a lot of people that are doing bad things. When we say bad, we're talking about, uh, you know, remember bad is do, dukkha. So bad action is happening and it's because people are ignorant. This is why when we begin our meditation, we honor the divinity of everyone. And when we finish our meditation, we send everyone a blessing. We wish everyone well. And Roy would constantly be reminding us at the end of our meditation, everyone, no exceptions, even the people that we think are bad people, because they are not bad, they are ignorant. When, when the self, when knowledge is obscured by ignorance, then men act badly. So we see a lot of ignorance out here in the world. <laughs> And right now, it's kind of in everybody's face because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Fortunately, this too will pass away. And, um, you know, by this time next year, we will be past some of the, the, the heavy points. Um, our, my astrologer says that, uh, you know, the Dharma is uh, at its lowest point toward the end of this year. So we still have some some wobbly waters to get through, but it'll be all right. We will. It'll be okay. Um, but recognize that the 
the bad things that are happening are not bad people. I mean, they're not bad souls. It's just that they're ignorant, you know, and I, and fortunately I remember this thing from who knows when, when I was a child, but, um, but when I look around and I just think, you know, instead of judging these people, I think, wow, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Wow, all it would take is just a few little changes and decisions at some point in my life, and I could be that person. And some, and I, and I have been some of those people too. I can remember, you know, at times when my viewpoint was different when I was younger, uh, when I was, when uh, I had more ignorance than I do now. Uh, and, and I would make some of those mistakes too. I remember being that person. I remember seeing things like that and thinking like that and gosh, you know, I'm, it's just such a blessing to not be like that. And for those who are still suffering because they have to live in that mind all the time, you know, I see some things that I think are really, you know, they're really not nice, not kind, not useful. And I think, how can somebody be like that? How can they do that? And then my next thought is, you know, what it must be like every day to get up and be in that mind and have to live in that consciousness, that fear and that upset and that anger and, you know, and all this crazy stuff, manipulation. And um, and so I just think, thank you. You know, thank you, God, Jai Ram, Jai Guru. Uh, what a blessing that, that I am not that person. And, and I hope and my compassion says, I hope that person has the opportunity to see through this and move past that suffering so that they too can be joyful and regain their right place in the universe. And he goes on and says, but when ignorance is completely destroyed, when the light of wisdom shines like the midday sun, it illumines what is supreme. So, Illumination eliminates darkness. Uh, wisdom illuminates ignorance. So we don't get rid of the dark by sweeping it out of the room or pushing it away. All we do is just light a candle, turn on the flashlight. As soon as you turn on the light, there is no darkness. And as soon as we have wisdom, as soon as we have insight, then there's no ignorance. And so, so, so we simply continue to aspire to be wise, to be mindful, to be uh, knowledgeable, to let go of beliefs, the believing and, and being stuck in these limited points of view, and to, and to look to ourself, find out what's real for ourself, you know. And when you know for yourself, when you look inside and you know, of course you know, we already know these things. It's not like, like we have to, you know, spend another 10 years going to school or something. You don't have to go to another retreat. You don't have to go to another seminar. You don't have to read another book. You know, all the things that we're doing are just kind of ways of dancing around this process and keeping ourselves moving in this track of self-discovery. But it is a self that's all already there and it's a self that already has the knowledge. See? And so... So we can be be gentle with ourselves, but be persistent, you know, be focused. Allow the light to shine. And then he goes on and says, contemplating that, with a capital T, that, inspired and rooted and absorbed in that, with a capital T, 
men reach the state of true freedom from which there is no rebirth. Contemplating that, inspired and rooted and absorbed in that, men reach the state of true freedom from which there is no birth. That with the T. So there's a, a mantra that I remember from uh, Swami Muktananda, tat twam asi, tat twam asi, tat, that, twam asi, thou art, that thou art, that which you contemplate, that which you see as God, that which you see as ultimate reality is you, tat twam asi, that thou art. Contemplating that, inspired and rooted and absorbed in that, men reach the true state of freedom from which there is no rebirth, from which we are liberated, free. So this is, uh, this is not difficult to understand, and this is not difficult to engage in. It just requires that we're persistent and we stay on our practice. And it doesn't require, it doesn't cost anything except our time and attention. And it's doable. And Roy used to tell us again and again, do it now. And don't wait. Don't wait in hope that in the next lifetime we'll finally be enlightened. You know, we're going to get a, we're, we're, we're banking enough good karma this time around so that when we come back next time, it's going to be sweet, you know, no problem. He said, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen when you check out from this world. So the best thing to do is to do all the work now and get it over, you know, get over it. And, and of course, to the degree that you wake up, then your life is going to be pleasant and you'll be happier and healthier and more functional and be able to achieve your purposes. So why wait? Why put it off? He said, you know, you know, so many people who, would tell him, he would tell me, these people would tell him that they're planning, you know, they have a, a life plan and their life plan is to, you know, begin and go into business and raise a family and make enough money so that they can retire, maybe even early. And then when they retire, they'll have plenty of time to sit there and meditate and work on their spiritual practice. And, and so as they come to the end of their life, they'll be able to, you know, to work on this um, process of enlightenment and of course he said you know this it doesn't work because we just get engaged in the world we become involved in all these things we put off uh, what's really important and then at the point where where we get to the place where we had planned to do this it turns out that we have created so much craziness for ourselves and so many responsibilities and we're so tied into wired into all the stuff in the world that we still don't have time for our spiritual practice and we don't have the same energy <laughs> and so and so it, you know it sort of just devolves you know people just get distracted by their life and forget about what's really important. He said, if you focus on what's really important, and, and this is what Yogananda said, and this is what Swami Sri Yukteswar said, and this is what Lahiriya Mahashaya said, if you focus on what's important, focus on God first, you do this first, get your, get your head straight, wake up, see what's really happening, then, then life becomes wonderful. See, life becomes pleasant. We can be happy and healthy. Happy. Does anybody know what happy means? I mean, the definition of happy? 
I mean, we, we all know, I know when I'm happy and I know when I'm not happy. What is, I looked it up. Happy comes from a word, the word hap, which is an old Norse, actually an old Norse term, which comes from an earlier Proto-Indo-European uh, term, which meant good fortune, good luck, or fitting, when things fit, when they fit together. And when they fit together, when we have good fortune, our experience is pleasant. We're happy. See? I looked that up and I thought, wow, I, the fitting, I understand that, you know. I remember I was, I was working for years as a uh, designing and building furniture, custom furniture and, and work, woodworking. And, you know, I liked, enjoyed that very much. And, uh, and so back in, uh, in the 2008 or 2009, some point back there, Roy asked me, he says, I, you used to do woodwork. And he came in with a, a picture, a sketch of a new altar. He wanted a new altar for the meditation hall. And he said, can you make one of these? Can you make this? So we talked about the, the details and, and I said, sure. And so I went and got a bunch of wood, a bunch of uh, cherry, nice, beautiful, raw cherry wood. And I went down to my friend's wood shop and spent the next month and a half or so building the altar for the, for CSA. And in the process, uh, the main, the first altar, the main one is 10 feet long. And so, you know, make, making all this so that it's perfect and beautiful. And, and, you know, I, I tend to put 200% into most of the things I do. And I would think, I'm thinking this altar is going to be here for the next 500 years. So it needs to be right, you know? And so there's a point where, you make the molding, so I've got the main boxes all done, and I create, I make my own molding, so I have this beautifully kind of arched piece that comes out from the edge of the altar, and making all this on a table saw, which is you know, pretty challenging. But at the end of the day, I have this big long piece of wood, 10 feet long, and it has a mitered corner, that means a 45 degree, corner so it comes out from the wall and then it has to go across the front and where that 45 degree corner is has to be perfect it's 10 feet long and it has to match up exactly perfectly with the pieces that are coming from the wall if you look at a picture frame you see a mitered corner and and so i'm like this is really you know, I've, I've spent hours, I've spent days making this molding and I've to kind of cut it and it has, I get one shot to cut it and it has to be perfect. And so, <laughs> so when you do this and you take it and you put it up there and it fits, you're happy. It's like, wow, that worked. You know, there's not even there's not even the width of a piece of paper between that joint, between this one and that one, and it just works. This is fitting. This is uh, this is this is luck, fortune, whatever it is that's coming in, grace. You know, coming in to assist us in making these things work, allowing these things to work, and so so happy. You know, we can be happy when we are not. Uh, stuck in the, in this idea of limitation and separation, 
we see that this is all working organic together. When wise men regard all beings as equal, a learned priest, a cow, an elephant, a rat, or a filthy rat-eating outcast. Freed from the endless cycle of birth and death, they can act impartially toward all beings, since to them, all beings are the same. We're all in this together. There's no better, no worse. There's nobody, nobody who's higher or lower. We, we wear different uh, uniforms. We have different functions. But underneath all that, we're all the same. See? And we can operate and we can interact in that way. And yes, we have respect for individuals who deserve our respect, but we also see them as, as our brothers and as our sisters. You know? It's amazing. I, I, I think I spoke before when I was young, I had opportunities to, uh, to, to go to many uh, events, music events, concerts and symphonies and ballets. And, and because we had uh, backstage passes and, and were invited to uh, inter interact with the people who were the performers. So oftentimes I was meeting some very, you know, superstar, pretty important people. And my wife was very shy, but really she was, you know, kind of starstruck and really in, engaged. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I really respect what they do, but they're just people. So, so time and again, I would have to go over to, uh, you know, to some rock star or somebody and introduce myself and say, my wife is kind of shy and she'd like to meet you. And, <laughs> and of course they were always very, you know, very happy and they would say oh hello i'm so and so but but i and so i learned very early on that you know people are people and when you get out on stage and put on the costume and you know you have all the lights and glitter and makes you special but afterwards we're just folks and we just hang out and talk and you know and and so we can be like that all the time we can treat everyone low caste high caste people who are poor people who are rich we treat them all the same. We are all the same. So this is what Krishna is saying here. And wise ones don't rejoice in good fortune. They don't lament at bad fortune. They're lucid. Minds are unshaken. They remain within what is real. You see what is. You see what is without being shaken, without... And yes, stuff happens, you know. We had this tremendous, this terrible, terrible uh, explosion yesterday in Beirut. And, you know, I mean, this, was, this is a disaster. Terrible things happen. And it's not anybody's fault. They happen. And, but we don't have to allow ourselves to be the effect of what's going on. Terrible things happen in our lives. Terrible things have happened in our lives. Wonderful things have happened in our lives. And, there, and we continue to move forward. As Roy said, you know, yesterday, what was the comment? He said, we, we just do what must be done. We do what the next thing is. So it's like, okay, this is not as comfortable as that, but I know what needs to be done. I do it. Take care of business. A man unattached to sensations who finds fulfillment in the self, again with the capital S, whose mind has become pure freedom, attains an imperishable joy. An imperishable joy. Unattached to sensations, 
fulfillment in the self. I'm, I'm self, uh, uh, self-sustaining, self-realized, self-motivated, not, not doing things in order to prove something to somebody else, not uh, trying to get, uh, trying to get somebody else to do something for me. I do what I do because it's my thing to do. So I'm self-organized, self-generated. And, and uh, with a pure mind, we experience freedom. And this is the way we have this imperishable joy. And Roy said, this is, this is the serene joy of knowledge and freedom. The serene joy of knowledge and freedom. So we are, we are knowledgeable and we are free. This bliss that is talked about. They say when we when we wake up to this experience of God, we experience this bliss. Well, this bliss is this knowledge of being, this knowledge of ourself, this experience of our of our own self and our freedom. It's not mental. It's not physical. It's not emotional. It's not an ecstasy or a flow of energy. It's not a sensation. This is a joy that's much much deeper. This is the bliss that we talk about. That is the bliss of self-knowing. So, so we go beyond all these sensations and all the externals. Pleasures from uh, pleasures from external objects are wombs of suffering, Arjuna. Wombs of suffering. This this is where the suffering will come from. Pleasures from external objects. They all have their beginnings. They all have their beginnings and their endings. And no wise man seeks joy among them. So this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. It means that we should be enjoying life without being attached to what's going on. If we, if we're, um, if we engage in things and they're very pleasurable, then we can become attached to the pleasure. And then when the pleasure goes away, we're upset. And because everything in the world changes, everything in expression is constantly moving. There's no stillness. There's no, uh, no place where, where uh, creation, where this expressive reality stops. It is an exp- it's a process, a constant process. And as a process, it's constantly in change, transformation. This is Shiva. Shiva is the transformer, the creator and the destroyer. This is the nature of reality. So whatever we experience that's really pleasurable, and we go, wow, you know, chocolate gelato. Mm, I need to get some more of that, you know. And and then I can't find chocolate gelato. I have to go back to Italy to get the real thing. And so now I'm kind of a little, you know, dukkha, a little suffering. Um, so what am I going to do? And so, so I've just created this problem for myself by becoming too uh, attached to some sets, uh, sensation, some substance. There's no problem with gelato. And much better to have had gelato and lost than never to have had gelato at all. But, um, but all things have their beginnings and their endings, so we don't want to get stuck. And the same thing happens for the pain and the suffering. 
So we get into this pain, we get, you know, suffering happens, we change, you know, conditions uh, change, we have physical health, we have problems with relationships, economy, things happen and they're terrible and we suffer. And these things end too. These things change too. So it's a cycle, you know, it continues and continues. So if we don't get too involved, too identified with the cycle, but we kind of dance lightly with it, then life becomes very pleasant and we are literally liberated, literally free. Uh, the man of yoga who's able to overcome here on earth the turmoil of desire and anger, that man is truly happy. He who finds peace and joy and radiance within himself, that man becomes one with God and vanishes into God's bliss. He who finds peace and joy and radiance within himself, that man becomes one with God and vanishes into God's bliss. Always grounded, you know, always established in this inner awareness, always happy, happy. Be. You know, things are always working. We're always lucky. We're always fortunate because we are in harmony with the universe. We're always established in peace. So if we are peaceful, content, centered, then we, then we become one with this expressive reality. We become one with God, literally. And then there's just a couple sutras. I'll just finish this off quickly. The wise man cleansed of all his sins, who has cut off all separation, who delights in the welfare of all beings, vanishes into God's bliss. We delight in the welfare of all beings. We want everyone to be happy. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. May everyone everywhere be happy. Everyone, everywhere be happy. He who controls his mind and has cut off the desire and the anger realizes himself, realizes the self with the capital S. He knows that God's bliss is nearer than near. That this experience, this opportunity to be fully aware and to be fully mindful, fully realized of the, of the, uh, the nature of the self and ultimate reality, this is right here, nearer than near. Closing his eyes, his vision focused beyond between his eyebrows, making the in-breath and the out-breath equal as they pass through, pass through the nostrils. Closing our eyes, focusing between the eyebrows, making the in-breath and the out-breath, in other words, bringing the breath into a harmonious, calm state. He controls his senses and his mind intent upon liberation. So now we're talking about the beginning of our meditation practice. When desire, fear, and anger have left him, that man, that man is forever free. So, we, so now we're beginning this conversation about meditation. And finally, he says, knowing me as the enjoyer of all worship, the Lord of all worlds, the dearest friend of all beings, that man gains perfect peace. 
knowing me, that is higher consciousness, knowing his own, our own higher consciousness, our own experience of being as the enjoyer of all worship, that which we worship is for our higher self, the Lord of all worlds, the dearest friend of all beings, that man gains perfect peace. And so here we are with his opportunity. And uh, our next chapter, chapter six, is the yoga of meditation. So we'll have a chance to go more into this conversation about um, learn from action and knowledge and renunciation. And now we'll go into a conversation about meditation. So, uh, so a question here. Uh, will our awakening to our true identity and supreme consciousness not only make our lives happier, but have a collective beneficial effect on the world of animals whose lives are largely defined by the predator-prey phenomenon? Um, it, because all consciousness is one thing, whatever we do, however we wake up, to whatever degree we wake up, we influence and we create and we affect everything around us. As we are established in peace, this peace is it radiates out from us. The sun, it radiates its photons, it sends out its energy, and it doesn't, it's not discriminating, it just does it in every single direction, infinite directions, out into the universe, the sun is radiating, radiating. In the same way, our consciousness is radiating, radiating these these feelings and this and this uh, this sense of where we are. So if we're grounded in peace, then our peace radiates out. It shares and interacts with everybody else and with the environment. If we are content, our contentment, our peace. If we have moved above Arjuna, above the above the third chakra behind the navel and move up to the heart then our heart opens we are compassionate we begin to feel our connection with all things as we feel our connection with all things all things feel connection with us and with each other see in all in these so in all these little ways everything that we do for ourselves in consciousness affects everything else and it affects everything else beyond the limitations of uh, space. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no time, and there's no distance when we work in consciousness. It's instantaneous. So as we are awake and as we are established in higher consciousness, we assist and help the entire process in its own awakening. Does that make sense? So. So that means we have a responsibility to be awake, be conscious, be peaceful, be loving, compassionate, you know, because it makes a difference for us and for everybody else. So I think that's more than enough for this morning, unless there's another question. Okay, good. Uh, so uh, this afternoon uh, we have... Um, Michael Gadway, Michael, Dr. Dr. Gadway will be presenting our workshop this afternoon. Uh, Michael is, has, has worn many hats like I have, and so he's a uh, very accomplished uh, Ayurvedic physician, and he's also uh, 
astrologer, uh, Vedic astrologer, and has a background in chiropractic and um, other stuff, many things. So, so he's got a lot of uh, information, wisdom, and uh, he's going to be speaking this afternoon about nutrition. So that will be useful for us. So 2 o'clock from 2 to 2.30, silent meditation. 2.30 till 3.30 or so, uh, we'll be with Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. And thank you all for being here. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. What was the title of the book you mentioned? Pardon? Of the guy who talks about the trees. What is the title of the book? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's the, I'll bring it tomorrow. I think it's The Hidden Wisdom of Trees. It's by an Austrian uh, forester, and it was on the bestseller list, and it's really quite remarkable. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll just bring it tomorrow, because and, and, the title is something like The Wisdom of Trees, The Hidden Wisdom of Trees, I think, something like that. Okay. Ron, Ron, did you ever get the radio to work? No. Did I get the radio to work? Well, I put it, yeah, I put it back together, sure. Oh, good. Good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Thank you.